Thank you very much. Okay. So, um, historical picture here of the Mormons famously traveling across uh, America. Um, today, the largest uh, body of Mormons uh, has about 13 million members, uh, half of whom are in the United States, but half of whom are outside of the United States. Uh, that largest group is uh, the Latter-day Saints, but there are a couple of other uh, breakaway groups of Mormons with slightly different beliefs uh, as well under that banner. Uh, I'll be concentrating on um, also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons. Uh, Mormon Richard Lyman Bushman, in his book for the Oxford Very Short Introduction series on Mormonism, um, gives this explanation of the popularity of Mormonism. I think it's quite interesting. He says, Mormons create congregational communities in which everyone has a place. Even sceptical members are reluctant to break the ties, feeling at home in a society where everyone watches out for one another, temporally and spiritually, where everyone is involved. The wealthy and powerful do not stand aside, but become the bishops and the high counsellors, the scoutmasters and youth leaders. Mormonism offers people a way of life. Mormon young people live in a world where abstinence of all kinds is the rule, not the exception. They grow up knowing that it's wrong to smoke and to drink, and adults conform to the same rules. Converts sometimes come into the church just to give their children a place in that world. Think about the cultural background, briefly, to Mormonism. In the early 19th century, in America, um, evolutionary ideas were very much in the air. This is prior to the publication of Darwin's Origin of Species, uh, but Darwin, as you'll probably know, was very influenced by the thought of uh, his forebears, particularly Erasmus Darwin, and the, the kind of uh, Lamarckian uh, evolutionary thought of Jean-Baptiste Lamarck was there as well. Racist attitudes were unfortunately quite widespread within white European society at the time. Many people at the time speculated about Jewish roots of Native Americans. And in 1823, Ethan Smith, no relationship to Joseph Smith, by the way, wrote a book called View of the Hebrews, arguing that Native Americans were descendants of Hebrews who migrated to America after the Assyrian captivity in the 8th century BC. <coughs> the practice of treasure digging, I think of the gold rush and so on in American society, and the practice of treasure digging was a widespread activity among people in the lower economic classes at the time, and many of these diggers were known to use mystical tools to help in their search, a bit like going dowsing for water. Now, Joseph Smith, 1805 to 1844, the founding primary prophet of Mormonism. Smith's father was a treasure digger. Smith also learned about treasure hunting from a traveling magician and diviner who claimed to locate water and treasure using magic stones. And he charged $3 a day for that work, so he got an income for it. That was when $3 was $3, though. 
Uh, although ultimately success, unsuccessful in the area, when he left, Smith imitated this diviner, uh, utilising a number of seer stones over his life. Uh, indeed, uh, Joseph the Glass Looker, as he was called, was brought to trial in Bainbridge, New York in March of 1826, essentially charged with fraud, with uh, fraudulently claiming to be able to help people to locate this, that and the other. Smith makes various visionary claims, and as far as I can find out, he doesn't see, there's no evidence that he made these claims at the time that he later claimed he had these visions. Smith claims that in 1820, confused about which church denomination to join, he prayed for wisdom in the woods, and two personages appeared to him, the father and the son, to tell him that, well, don't join any of them, they're all wrong. Smith claims to have had a vision in 1823 of the angel and former human, we'll go into this later, Moroni, son of the prophet Mormon, who tells him of his father's book, an account of the ancient inhabitants of North America between 600 BC and AD 400, written on golden plates in something called Reformed Egyptian, and of two stones, the Urmin and Thumin, which would help him to translate it. Purportedly, the plates contained the fullness of the gospel as delivered by Jesus Christ himself to the ancient inhabitants of America. Smith claims that he dug up the plates, etc., from Camorra Hill near his village in 1827, and then he dictates the Book of Mormon, looking into his hat at his seer stone, uh, and it is published in 1830. And here it is. Joseph Smith's seer stone. Mormon scriptures include the King James Bible, although it's considered as inaccurately translated and incomplete. Smith began writing his own version. The Book of Mormon, which I've mentioned, a book called Doctrine and Covenants, and a book called The Pearl of Great Price, which includes uh, such literature as the Book of Moses, a retelling of the Genesis story, uh, the book of Abraham, which I'll mention a little later, and so on. Let's focus on the Book of Mormon, though. Here is the story told by the Book of Mormon. Jerusalem, circa 600 BC. Lehi and his family flees the city uh, before it falls to the Babylonians. They journey across the Atlantic in a boat and arrive somewhere on the American continent. Lehi and his family then populate the continent, eventually dividing into two groups. The, quote, white, exceedingly fair, and delightsome Nephites, and the wicked, cursed by God to be dark-skinned Lamanites. These two groups fight until visited by Jesus sometime after his resurrection and ascension. Jesus taught them many of the things that he taught the people in Galilee, particularly the moral teaching, uh, the sort of Sermon on the Mount kind of stuff, resulting in a period of peace. However, they go back to their old ways, the Nephites and the Lamanites begin to war with one another, again, to disastrous results. A prophet called Mormon cares for the record of his people and passes the golden plates down to his son Moroni. Smith said that Moroni also included a record of the history of an even more ancient group of Hebrews who came to America 
called the Jadarites, a group of families from the Tower of Babel who populated the Americas uh, uh, 2500 BC. Their massive culture was supposedly far more developed than the culture of Lehi. The Book of Mormon records the destruction of the Nephites and claims society became adulterous, uh, idolatrous, sorry, uh, forming the Native American societies as discovered by the European immigrants. So let's look at a literary critique of the Mormon scriptures. Reformed what now? Reformed Egyptian, I mentioned. Um, Smith has, so say, some of this reformed Egyptian characters and his translation uh, thereof from the Book of Mormon shown to a linguist called Dr. Charles Anthon at Columbia College, New York. According to Smith, Anthon confirms the authenticity of the characters and the translation. According to Dr. Anthon, the characters are nonsense. J. Warner Wallace says that Jewish and Christian scripture was, of course, originally written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, without chapter and verse distinctions. But Joseph's translation of the Book of Mormon includes verbatim quotes from the King James Version with the verse and chapter divisions intact. To make matters worse, we now know that the King James Version contained a number of translation errors when compared to the latest and most recent manuscript discoveries from which we work out what the original texts of these books were. The Book of Mormon lifts passages from the King James Version without correcting these errors. So, for example, the King James translations have uh, difficulty translating a number of animal titles, uh, words translated in the King James, such as dragons, unicorns, and satires, uh, have since been better researched and retranslated in modern biblical translations. Smith thus includes a number of archaic terms in the Book of Mormon when he transferred passages wholesale from the King James Version that he knew. So uh, to Nephi uh, here, talking about uh, dragons in their pleasant places, which is a quotation from Isaiah. And most modern translations have jackals, for the word translated there as dragons, and hyenas, for the word uh, translated as wild beasts, just vaguely. Specious King James passages. A number of passages in the King James Version are now known to be late additions to the biblical text. Some of these specious passages were transferred by Smith into the Book of Mormon when he copied in from the King James Version. So in Matthew 6, 9-13, the Lord's Prayer, we now know that the line, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That line is a later addition in the manuscript tradition. It's not in the earliest manuscripts. And yet here it is appearing verbatim in 3 Nephi. So as Professor Thomas Finley says, the Book of Mormon falls in line with what normally happens when an author tries to imitate an archaic style, in this case the King James Version English. Some prominent features are copied, but used in a manner inconsistent with the original usage. Uh, He's trying to write in a sort of faux religious language to be convincing, uh, but to a real linguist, he doesn't pull it off. Uh, 
There is no solid evidence that the Book of Mormon was written by Semites in ancient times, says Finley. Contrary evidence makes it more likely that the book is a product of Joseph Smith's time with the King James Version strongly influencing its language. What about the Book of Abraham that I mentioned? Smith, in 1835, purchases some papyri scrolls and Egyptian mummies from a travelling man. And he claims that the papyri contained the writings of Abraham and that he could translate them. I commenced the translation of some of the characters or hieroglyphs and much to our joy found that one of the rolls contained the writings of Abraham, says Smith. This translation became the book of Abraham as found in the Pearl of Great Price. It's canonized scripture of the LDS Church. The original papyri uh, used to translate the book of Abraham were lost but were then rediscovered in 16, uh, 1966 uh, in a museum. And here they are. Here's some pictures of them. The thing is, modern linguists have looked at these papyri and translated them. And they are common Egyptian funereal texts called the Book of Breathings, and have absolutely nothing to do with Abraham. A historical critique of Mormon scripture. Uh, the Book of Mormon, as uh, Bushman says, is of course susceptible to historical analysis in the same kind of way that the New Testament and the Old Testament is, in large parts. A history of a migrant band of Israelites to America is open to, say, archaeological investigation. Atheist biologist Jerry Coyne notes that a critical claim of Mormonism is that Native Americans descended from a group of people who migrated to North America from the Middle East, about 600 BC. Genetics, evolutionary biology, and archaeology show these claims are dead wrong. All Native peoples of the New World descended from East Asians, from Siberians, who migrated over the Bering Strait roughly 15,000 and certainly not 2,600 years ago. Scientists, you see the uh, Bering Strait here at the top of the Americas. Scientists studying Native American populations see no genetic or cultural connections between old and new world populations. And there's a broad consensus among archaeologists and geologists and uh, biologists that the new world was first populated about 15,000 years ago, or possibly as early as 20,000 years ago, by migrants from Asia, not from the Middle East. Michael Icona notes that there's a consensus from professional archaeologists, Mormon and non-Mormon alike, that there is no specific confirmation of the Book of Mormon from archaeology. National Geographic Society says, although many Mormon sources claim that the Book of Mormon has been substantiated by archaeological findings, this claim has not been verified. Um, Professor of Anthropology at Brigham Young University, David Johnson, says, what I'd say to you is there is no archaeological proof of the Book of Mormon. There is absolutely no archaeological evidence you can tie directly to events that took place, unlike if you've been to talks that I've done here on New Testament archaeology, um, which you can find on the uh, podcast list, is the case with the Bible. Uh, another Mormon archaeologist, D. Green, says the first myth we need to eliminate is that the Book of Mormon archaeology exists. Um, there is no Book of Mormon location known with reference to modern uh, topography, etc., he says. 
Lastly, philosophically, Mormonism is actually a version of what we might call naturalistic finite godism. He says that God is of the same order of beings as humans. God himself is a man like unto one of yourselves. The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also. But the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. But by spirit, they don't mean spirit, they mean a sort of refined kind of matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure. The doctrine of three gods in one in Smith's writings soon gives way to a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three distinct beings united in purpose and will, but not in substance. Um, The closest analogy, really, I can think of with my background in classics is ancient Greek polytheism, where the gods are a natural part of the natural universe, and you have a plethora of gods. But you add that to a sort of evolutionism... Uh, Smith did not conceive of creation out of nothing, ex nihilo. He taught that the elements are eternal and coexist eternally with God. God did not create matter. It's always been there. He merely organized it. Also, man was in the beginning with God in that intelligence was not created or made, neither can it be. Hence, human beings are not the creatures of God because he didn't create their inner essence. They are as eternal as God himself. Um, One president of the Mormon church put it this way, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. So it's a sort of evolutionary idea of an an eternal evolution from material beings to divine beings who become divine by following the rules of the God before them who did the same thing with the God before them and so on ad infinitum. So there's an infinite regress Mormonism teaches God was a man on another planet who became a god by following the laws of the god he served, became exalted. That god in turn was exalted by his god, and so on. So Mormonism teaches an infinite regress of causes. From an infinity of time past, the Mormon plan of exaltation has been in effect. I would argue that that is logically impossible and contradicted by the evidence of modern cosmology um, that we've talked about when we've mentioned things like the, the Kalam cosmological argument in the past. And this gives you a radically pluralistic view of what exists of ontology. Um, Smith's universe filled with loads of unorganised matter, all manner of independent intelligences and millions of Earths is profoundly pluralistic made up of lots of things, says Bushman. Well, in that case, um, Smith's fundamental view of reality is very complex And Occam's razor would certainly frown upon Mormonism if you had some better worldview alternative. Three uh, sources to to look at if you're interested in this. This is a fine collection of uh, essays by Christian scholars on Mormonism called The New Mormon Challenge, uh, edited by Francis Beckwith et al. On the genetic stuff uh, about where do these people in the Americas come from, uh, a book called uh, Losing a Lost Tribe, Native Americans' DNA in the Mormon Church by uh, Simon Southerton, and uh, the chapter in the updated version of Walter Martin's classic, The Kingdom of the Cults. Um, if you search on YouTube, do a YouTube search for the words Mormonism, playlist, Peter S. Williams, my name, you'll find a YouTube playlist that I've curated on Mormonism. And uh, on the UCCFB Thinking website, there's a, a good section of material on um, Be Thinking um, 
mormons.org forward slash mormons forward slash what to say to mormons. Thank you. Thank you.